So, uh, years and years ago, when I was a younger priest, um, I became friends with this couple. Um, he is, I think, he's hilariously funny, uh, incredibly smart, one of the smartest people I know, uh, very, very funny, but he kind of has a sarcastic sense of humor, which I like. Um, and he was dating this, his name was Christian, or is Christian. He was dating this gal named Catherine, who really, she is just joyful. She's always brimming with joy, but um, uh, she's incredibly, like, disciplined. She is made of steel. Um, anyhow, I used to hang out with him. He, she never really appreciates his sense of humor. I don't know why, but um, uh, I think he's hilarious. But we did a lot together. So we'd go skiing. And then um, my one real social thing would be um, every couple months we'd have dinner and go out to a movie. It was a lot of fun. Then they got married. I married them. Um, then they had their first child, James Zimmerman and everything changed. So we were supposed to go out to dinner and a movie, so I arrived to their house, and um, they say, oh, we have to have dinner in because we couldn't get a sitter. And there in the bed was James Zimmerman. So I pointed at him and said, James Zimmerman, you're destroying my life. <laughs> I, and really, he did. He destroyed my social life and the social life of his parents. Um, because really, they, then they had two more kids. And um, this sounds strange, but everything changed. Um, everything changed with the birth of their children. In fact, once I was crossing the street in Boise, and I see the car, and there's my friend. So I went over to, hey, how are you doing? Because I have three little kids now. And I said, how are you doing? He says, oh, at this point, we just want to sleep. <laughs> um, but what I admired them is, and this sounds str strange, I admired Christian and Catherine because they were letting, they allowed their world to be destroyed for the sake of their children. They had to give up a lot of their social life. They gave up <coughs> a lot of sleep. They gave everything up for their kids. And so my point being is that I admired them because they did make room, sacrificed a lot for their kids. That's one story. The opposite of that story is um, I was a priest at St. Mark's once, and um, <clears throat> after Mass, I was just greeting people, trying to figure out who people are. I'm a little slow. And um, this grandmother and her daughter shows up. Now, never seen the daughter before. And so, you know, met her, and they said, yeah, we, we're coming to you because we want your opinion on a disagreement we're having. I said, great, I have tons of opinions on everything. Um, and I said, so what's the argument? Um, and they said, well, uh, the argument is this, is that um, the mother, she has a chance to go to the Caribbean on this month-long vacation with her boyfriend. So she wants the grandmother, and the grandmother will, but doesn't think it's right wants a grandmother to raise her son when she's off of their boyfriend. And they're wondering what my opinion was. <laughs> That's a really easy one. Um, no, you don't have the right to abandon your child to run off with your boyfriend. And the mother was shocked. And she says, well, I deserve to be happy. I deserve love. 
So you have a child. You have a child you're supposed to take care of. It's not morally right to abandon your child to and hand him over to the grandmother so you can run off and play with your boyfriend. That child needs, your life should be sacrificed out of love for that child. It, you're no longer the center of the world. And she was shocked I took that opinion. And I was shocked that she was shocked about my opinion. And the thing about it is, think of the two differences. The Zimmerman, they're willing to sacrifice everything to make room for the child. The other mother, she does technically have a child, but there's no room in her life for that child. She's more concerned about her love life, her dating life, blah, 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 blah. There's just no room for that child in her life. I mean, God bless her, but there's just no room there. And this sounds kind of strange if you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with Advent? Well, think about St. Joseph. Uh, I love this Sunday because it's about St. Joseph. And St. Joseph, um, uh, he really does. He allows his world to be destroyed to make room for the child. His world is destroyed um, morally. What what is other people considered, his culture considered moral, he's willing to be just destroyed. If you're wondering what I mean by that, think about this. You know the book of Leviticus. It's one of your favorite books. Um, you know, the book of Leviticus, this sounds kind of strange. Mary is found pregnant before the final act of marriage. So just marriage in the ancient times in the Jewish world, you'd have the marriage ceremony. The groom would come. You'd have this marriage ceremony. Then the groom goes away to build a house for the family. Then he comes back after, you know, much time in this, what's called the second coming, comes back in the second coming to take the bride to the new home, and that's the final act of marriage. So just want to mention that because it drives me up the wall when people say Mary was an unwed mother. She was married. She was actually married. Um, the problem is, is that she was found pregnant before the final act of marriage. So, Book of Leviticus considers that adultery, and you know the penalty. She should be stoned to death. So, everybody in Joseph's world said she needs to be stoned to death. Joseph doesn't do that. He has a higher morality. So, well, his moral life is deconstructed, or his security is destroyed. Joseph, remember, once he has a child, the sociopath Herod wants to kill them. So Joseph has to run away um, or protect the child. But notice with Joseph, for all the sacrifices, he never complains. Joseph, for all the sacrifices, um, he doesn't worry about his reputation. He worries about her reputation. It's really about him. And the no, I'm sorry, it's not about him. It's about the child. And the amazing part is, like, Joseph is a builder, right? He's a construction worker. And the builder has his world deconstructed with the birth of the child. And so the point being is that this Sunday is about St. Joseph. Now, I love St. Joseph because usually on the fourth Sunday of Advent, it's always about Mary. Once every three years, it's about Joseph. And I love the image that we're supposed to be like St. Joseph. We're supposed to be the ones that are, 
willing to allow our lives to be rearranged and destroyed to make room for the birth of a child, Christ. If you don't have room for the child, then really, well, we should. We should be like the Zimmermans, where let things be destroyed so that we have a place for the child to actually be born. And so Joseph, um, Joseph, it says in the Bible, is, and I like this, he's righteous. What the heck does the word righteous mean? And I'll just quickly explain it. Joseph is not legalistic. If Joseph is legalistic, then Mary should be stoned to death. So some people's morality is legalistic. You know, just read the Bible. It'll tell you exactly what to do. That's legalistic. Congratulations. That's a level of a second grader. But if you fall in love, you have a higher morality. And the higher morality is righteousness. Righteousness means right relationship. Um, you know, I'll do what is right for you, not what is just, you know, some moral legal code that was imposed. That's great training wheels, but the higher morality is righteousness. And that can't be codified. It can't be written down. Like it changes with every person. Joseph is righteous. Um, so he follows a deeper law, which is mercy and love. So think about it. Like, this sounds kind of strange. I love this about Joseph. You know in the Christmas story where Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem? Technically, Mary didn't need to go to Bethlehem. Um, it's only Joseph, the head of the household, could have registered both of them. And she's pregnant. Who makes a pregnant woman, nine months pregnant, travel miles? Why did Mary go with Joseph? Why she went is because she was hated. She was hated and she needed protection. So she had to go with Joseph because Joseph needed to protect her. From what? I hate to say this, us religious people. The book of Leviticus says she should be stoned to death. And don't think this is going to end. Because 30 years later, when Jesus is a full adult, um, the Pharisees don't like Pharisees. All they know about morality is legalism. So the Pharisees, they don't like Jesus. So they call Jesus, um, Jesus, son of Mary. Now, what you might not know, that's an insult. So let's say, um, let's say you have a child named Z, um, which he does. Um, if I said, um, uh, Z, son of Wes, or daughter of Wes, that means that she is a legitimate child. If I say Z and use the mother's name, that means she doesn't have a father. She's illegitimate. So when they say Jesus, son of Mary, we do that all the time. They're doing that as an insult. They still remember 30 years ago that Mary should have been stoned to death. That's why Joseph takes her with her. Uh, my point being is that um, Joseph has to sacrifice everything for Mary. That's what righteousness does. And so I love, I love that. We're called to become like Joseph. Not just the, the rules say this. Righteousness, it sacrifices because that's what love does. Um, and so this weekend's about Joseph. Just in case you didn't know, here's Mary with the Jesus in her womb. But on the side panels, you can see Joseph. And Joseph is dressed in brown because he's humble. And you see the angel there giving him the message. Don't worry. 
It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that she's found pregnant. And Joseph has this image of bowing to actually Christ in Mary's womb. And the fact that he's bowing symbolizes righteousness. He's not somebody who needs to be in control. This hap has to happen. As I said, it has to happen. My needs come first. He bows. Um, he's righteous. That he's not the center of his life. It's actually the child. He's more like the Zimmermans. The mother who, she may love her child, but she's not going to, she's more concerned about her vacation, month-long vacation with her boyfriend. She's not going to bow to anything but her own needs and desires. So Joseph is amazingly um, uh, righteous and creates room for the child. Now, here's a bizarre part I want you to walk away with. And that is, and it sounds strange, that Jesus is born from the womb of Joseph. So yeah, I know that sounds strange, but remember that. Jesus is born from the womb of Joseph. And what do I mean by that? I Believe it or not, I know my biology. I know women, men don't have wombs, but theologically, everybody may. Theologically, the word for mercy in Hebrew is the exact same word as womb. Just has different vowel points. So mercy and womb, that's where, uh, like, the word mercy means womb. It means you've created space for life when you show mercy. And Joseph, uh, Jesus is not just boom, born from the womb of Mary. This weekend we celebrate Joseph was born from the womb of Joseph. Joseph created space for the child. Joseph sacrificed for the child. So Joseph... Um, he protects and, uh, Mary and Joseph, doesn't have her stoned to death, sacrifices everything for her. That's the womb. That's the mercy. And Jesus will follow the example. When the adulterous woman is thrown before him, he doesn't say, oh, book of Leviticus, throw the rocks. He practices righteousness. So Christ is born from the womb of Joseph. And this is the point. This weekend, we pray that Christ is born in our womb. That we create this space in our life where the child can exist. So Joseph becomes very vulnerable. He sacrifices everything. Uh, has to leave his country. Sacrifice everything. Joseph is not in control. You know, the opposite of that image is the king in the first reading. The king in the first reading, um, he's the opposite of Joseph. He's a king, and just the background is... Um, Jerusalem could be attacked. So he comes up with this very clever, engineer, amazing engineering feat where he has them drill uh, right through the rocks so that water from the spring can enter Jerusalem. So if you attack a Jerusalem, they have enough water to last forever. So engineering-wise, he's got it planned out. And, and this is a key point, he's had made all these political alliances and so he thinks he's in control because he has the right levers of politics. So he thinks he's secure. He's invulnerable. Everything's going to happen just as he planned. Now, the prophet comes along. Prophet basically says, you think that river is, that water source is the source of life? It's really God. You think you're in control? No, let God be in control. That's our form of safety. 
So he says, ask for a sign as deep as the oceans. Whatever you want, ask for a sign. And the king, who's not really religious, but he loves to put on the show of religion, says, oh, I would never tempt God. And the prophet is just exhausted. Oh, you big, fat phony. Um, and so the prophet says, no, the virgin shall, shall give birth to the child and name him Emmanuel. The virgin giving birth, that means virgins don't become give birth. That means God will do impossible things. The king doesn't want impossible things. He wants things to happen just as he's planned them out. And of course, believe it or not, politically, things turn upside down and Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, he thinks he's in control, but is about to lose everything. Joseph is the opposite. Joseph willingly sacrifices everything. Joseph is not in control. He becomes incredibly vulnerable. People won't like him because of what he did. They mock him. He has to run to Egypt. And this sounds kind of strange. Vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. If you can create room for the child, sacrifice for others, that's a power. Um, and this sounds strange. I'm just saying... Um, and I don't mean to be judgmental, I just really am. It's one of my strengths. Um, that, like, just because it's so much different. Like, married people, married people kind of, I find bizarre. Like, Christian and Catherine. Christian is this ex-Marine, or sorry, not ex, former Marine. Very intense. And so you think he's, he's, you know, intense. Actually, it's the joyful Catherine who sets the rules. Um, like she's without Catherine, he's unfocused. But so I, I, I'm always judging married people. I have to tell you, um, and like, I'm always curious how a marriage works. And this is what I've learned is my psychology. Just, just noticing married people. What I noticed is the one who loves least is in control of the rela relationship. That the one who loves the most, they'll sacrifice the most for the other one. That they'll do anything. So the one who loves least is in control. The king, the king, he thinks he's in control, but like, he doesn't love at all. He just wants everything he wants. He's like the mother who goes off with her boyfriend. Um, she doesn't love greatly, and she's not vulnerable, but she is in control. People who really become vulnerable, they're not in control, but they end up sacrificing. Love sacrifices. Love creates room for others. So Joseph, Joseph is not in control, but he does sacrifice everything. And my only point is, on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we're just about to celebrate Christmas, who do you want to be like, the king or Joseph? With a king... He sounds really religious. I'd never tempt God. Uh, he sounds religious, but there's no room for any child to come in. Um, we're going to celebrate Christmas. We'll have all the lights and the Christmas and the big dinners, but really a, a lot of fanfare. But if we never created any space, Christ can't be born. Um, so we'll have everything and nothing will have changed. Or you can be like Joseph or the Zimmermans, who they create space, they sacrifice so that 
There's a place for the child to be born. And I love this image of the empty manger. So we put up the manger already, really because we have to. It won't have time next week. But I love the image of an empty manger. So think about this. Right now, it's empty. And I hope spiritually, that's a sign of our life where we've created, the real manger is our heart, that we've created space in our heart. You know, our ego, our need for love, our need for control, uh, I need to be right about everything. Um, we've sacrificed some of that so that there's a little bit of space that when Christmas ce celebrates, there's a space for Christ to take over. If we're the center of our lives, of our needs, our desires, our fears, are crowded in our heart, yeah, we can celebrate Christmas, but there's really no place for the child. Don't we want to be more like Joseph, uh, righteous, willing to sacrifice everything so that there's space for the child to be born? Then we really can celebrate Christmas. Otherwise, it's just wrapping in lights. Let us truly make space in our hearts for Christ to come. Hello, this is Father Len McMillan. I'd like to take a moment to thank you for listening to our podcast. If they've been a blessing to you, I'd also like to invite you to prayerfully discern supporting the podcast financially. Your generosity would help support the ongoing production and distribution of the podcast. If you'd like to make a donation, you can simply click the link in the podcast description. Be sure to tell us your donation is for the podcast in the comment section of the submission form. Again, thank you for your support as we seek to share the good news of the gospel. May God bless you for your generosity.